Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few moments, I'm going to invite you to stay with me. It'll be a few minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, and it'll be done without any manipulation, which means there are no hidden agendas. We're not trying to sell you something. We are not trying to solicit anything. We're not trying to get you to join up, fess up, give it up. This show is simply about giving you accurate information, information that will assist you in helping you verify and identify the plan of God for your life. If you can do that, you always have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. That is up to you. But my job is to get it accurate, get it correct, get it right, make sure that I don't mislead you, give you wrong information. And that's why we take a lot of, uh, we're very careful about what we teach and what we say on this radio show. The last thing that I want to do is misrepresent God. If I presume to speak for God on this radio show, and I guess that's what I'm presuming to do, giving the scriptures, I cannot, I cannot afford to misrepresent God. God's justice will not tolerate it. His righteousness will never be compromised. No one, I don't care who it is, can misrepresent God and get away with it. Moses did not get away with it at the second episode of Meribah when God told him simply to speak to the rock and he would give water. But however, Moses in anger struck the rock and this misrepresented God. And this created a problem because God had to pull Moses aside and tell him that because of his act, he would not enter into the promised land. And because of that act, that Aaron would have to die that very day and be replaced as high priest by his son Eleazar. It was a very, very bad time. And Moses was given one year before he was to be taken to heaven. You can read about what he wrote in that last year in the book of Deuteronomy. And in chapter 3, you'll see where Moses said, the reason God is disciplining me is because of you. But that's not true. The reason God disciplined Moses was because he misrepresented God before the people. Striking the rock represented judgment. And God told him to speak to the rock, which represented grace. Amazing. Amazing. No one gets away with misrepresenting God. Recently, my pastor on an Easter special mentioned a passage in John, which I'll give to you this morning because I thought it was a very good thing about what we want to talk about today. This is in John chapter 2, verse 13. It says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is the beginning of his ministry. And he found in the temple those that were selling ox and sheep and doves and exchanging money, sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, and the sheep and the ox 
and he poured out the changers' money and overthrew their tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things from here. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Now that should be pretty clear. God doesn't tolerate making money off of his name. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. As the Passover came and as Jews came in from other countries, they were exchanging their money at a rate that was just robbery. And they were being sold animals to sacrifice. Every sacrifice represented the future atonement of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who sacrificed his life for us on the cross. But this blatant criminality and this blatant misrepresentation of God by commercialism in the temple created a terrible problem. And the Lord Jesus Christ cleaned it out in one sweep. And the Jews were amazed. They came back and said, what, what, what sign do you show uh, unto us seeing that you've done these things? In other words, where did you get the authority to do this? And that's when our Lord told him, he answered saying this, you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And of course he was speaking about his body and the bodily resurrection. And of course they didn't understand that. They thought that he was talking about Herod's temple. So you see, they didn't have much insight, did they? So what I want to bring to your attention today is something very interesting. And that is the commercialization of Christianity today. It's actually kind of pitiful. But it seems as if today so many denominations, so many organizations are making an issue out of money and selling things. I have gotten in trouble for speaking in a couple of churches and and mentioning this, saying that I didn't think it was right, and yet maybe the church had kids involved in raising money, selling T-shirts, selling cookies, selling something, and they were very offended that I mentioned that. So let's give some principles today. Let's go over some principles. And here is the first principle I want to give you. And this is in regards to a Christian's life. If you are a Christian... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, sooner or later, you will be uh, confronted with giving money to a church or to an organization. And the first principle I want you to understand is that religion has a false system of worship. And in that false system of worship, it demands that you give things that you do not have. That's the first principle I want you to see. Religion and demonism, that's right, demonism, because Satan is the author of religion. Don't ever forget that. Christianity is not religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's Jesus Christ living inside of you. It is not you earning the right to go to heaven. It is you receiving forgiveness for your sins based on the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, on the cross. So religion is not Christianity. 
So when you hook up demonism through religion, you will see the great demand that sacrifice be made, that you, for example, give money you don't even have, as in the concept of tithing. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. Maybe you tithe. And if you do, I want to mention a couple of things about it. First of all, it's not a sin to tithe. But secondly, it is not the way the New Testament was designed as far as giving goes. So the Mosaic law did command tithing. Yes, that was never an issue. But it did not mean spiritual giving. Even when it was first ordained in the Old Testament, tithing was a 10% system of income tax. And everybody in the land paid it believers and unbelievers. You see, all Israel is not Israel. Just because you're a racial Jew doesn't mean you're saved. If you're not redeemed, even though you're a racial Jew, you're not saved. And there were people in Israel that were racially Jews, but they were not redeemed by faith in Christ. You say, well, how would they even know who Christ was? Every sacrifice, every one of those pointed to a future Redeemer, and they look forward to the cross just as you and I look back at the cross. It's the same Savior, the same cross. We look back, they look forward. We have a Bible that tells us about it. They had a system of sacrifices, a system of worship that taught them who the Redeemer would be. And so they had always believed that. But tithing was a 10% system of income for believers and unbelievers, income tax. Malachi 3 says, bring all the tithes into the treasury. But it had nothing to do with a spiritual life. However, unfortunately, in most denominations today, Tithing is declared to be part of your spiritual life. In other words, if you are a good Christian, you will tithe. Well, good Christians may tithe. That's fine. That doesn't make you a good Christian. Tithing does not make you a good Christian. Giving does not make you a good Christian. What makes you a good Christian is following the protocol plan of God which means that a right thing has to be done in a right way. And you can give money, which is a right thing, in the wrong way. And that does not glorify God. So first of all, you must be filled with the Spirit. Anytime you give money, Christian service, you must be filled with the Spirit. If you do it in the energy of the flesh, then it's just wood, hay, and stubble. But if you give under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, then it's divine good production. But tithing is not part of the spiritual life. What you give, and if you give, is a matter of the privacy of your priesthood related to your own understanding of the Word of God. You are a believer priest. You represent yourself before God. You do not need someone to represent you. 
you as a believer are adopted into the family of God. <coughs> Excuse me. You're heir to all that Christ is heir to. And you are a believer priest. So remember this. The dispensation of Israel. We're not in that dispensation. We're in the dispensation of the church. The mystery doctrine of the body of Christ. The church. No one in the Old Testament ever foresaw this. When our Lord Jesus Christ came, he offered the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and the Jews rejected it. And the kingdom was postponed until the end of the tribulation. We are in the church age. And in the dispensation of Israel, which was prior to us, there was no precedence for the church age. Therefore, things like tithing and Sabbath observance and morality, they are not part of the Christian way of life. Christians do need to be moral. Christians do need to worship. Christians do need to give. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in the Old Testament, that system that they lived under is not the Christian way of life. So this tithing was commanded in the Mosaic Law as 10% of the income tax for client nation to Israel. But it had no spiritual connotation either for your salvation or for blessing in any way. Giving, if you give, when you give, is a matter of the privacy of your own priesthood. And the amount that you give is based on your own determination and it has nothing to do with any blessing. So spiritual giving in the Old Testament, spiritual giving in the New Testament, never has a percentage attached to it. In the Old Testament, it was called offerings. In the New Testament, it's giving. And it's very clear. And they gave tithes and offerings in the Old Testament. Tithes were 10% of, the, of what they had, the income tax. And the offerings were their spiritual giving. And spiritual giving is a mental attitude. And you can have the attitude of giving even though you don't have the finances to go with it. Why? Because giving is an expression of worship. And it commemorates the grace of God in your life. It's a legitimate function in the church age. It's a legitimate function for you. And it's legitimate in worship inside and outside the local church. It is a category of Christian service. So there's nothing wrong with giving. That's the execution of the protocol plan of God. So whether you're giving money or some other valuable commodity, which may be used in sustaining the ministry of a local church or a missionary, that's between you and God. It's a means of inculcating teamwork and coordination into the body of Christ. So each of us, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, we must give to the decree determined by means of what God has given to us, not from the distress of our mind, not from emotion. God loves the well-motivated believer. So God expects you to give based on your ability to give and your appreciation of grace. 
you give as a believer based on the metabolization of the word of God in your soul, you do not give based on an emotional appeal. And if anyone makes an emotional appeal for money, then you can say right off the bat, this is not of God. God doesn't do that. That's not the way God operates. And we're going to show you that in this passage, in this study. God loves grace-oriented giving. But never, never should you ever give under impulsively or emotionally. Never do that. You determine for yourself what you are to give. That's between you and God. And if any church, I can remember details. I'll, I'll give you one episode. I remember speaking in a church, and a gentleman who owned a business asked me to come by and visit him. And he told me, and though I was a visitor in town, that his church had sent an auditor to his business to determine what he should be able to give. That's a violation of the privacy of the priesthood. I know of another church where the deacons of that church took each member of the congregation and determined what they should be able to give in regards to a building fund. That's a violation of privacy. That is not scriptural. That's wrong. And that is coercion, putting people under compulsion to give. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You know what this means? That God can graciously provide extra finances for grace givers to give. He can do that. He can give you what you don't even expect to get. So the only legitimate system of giving is a grace giver giving to a grace cause. Grace giving, giving to a grace cause. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9.10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower, that's capital, and bread for food, he will supply and multiply your capital, your seed, for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. In other words, God can give you extra money so that you can give in grace to, to ministries, churches, missionaries that operate in grace. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform, this is Paul speaking, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. So giving is a mental attitude. It's never based on compulsion. It's never an emotional thing. It's a mental attitude based on a problem-solving device you've heard me teach. Grace orientation. Grace orientation is a tremendous problem-solving device. And if you understand grace orientation, then that's where giving comes from. You received the finances by grace, 
You give by grace, and the receiver operates under grace. Got it? So this principle of giving is an expression of your honor code as a member of the royal family of God. This is wonderful. You know, listen, charity is from God. But socialism, welfare, those come from man. Paul talked about it in Romans 16, 26. He said, for Macedonia and Achaia have decided with pleasure to make a special offering to the poor believers who are in Jerusalem. Galatians 2.10, they only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. Charity is from God. Socialism and welfare, that's from man. That's man controlling the population. But giving and charity is an expression of free will, without any gimmicks, without any coercion. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 3, I testify on the basis of their ability and beyond their ability, they gave willingly. Giving is an expression of mental attitude, grace in every circumstances of life. It has to be an attitude towards the Lord before it can be an expression of grace towards others. You give to God first. Listen, in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, and not even as we anticipated, but they gave first of themselves to the Lord, then they gave to us by the will of God. So you give to God before you give to man. Giving depends on you growing. Giving depends on you understanding the scripture. You understand the word of God. Giving is associated with another problem-solving device called impersonal love. You can even give to people that you don't like as long as they are grace-oriented. And if we're talking about a ministry, giving to a ministry, if they're teaching in grace. Now, here's some things I want to run over with you. God doesn't authorize any ministry to sell anything. So if you are involved in something like this where someone says, well, I love the Lord and I'd like for you to have my sermons and for a gift of $19.95, I'll send them to you. That's not God. God doesn't authorize selling anything. I can give you the scriptures that verify that if you'd like to know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, and I'm turning to it right now so I can read it to you. This is what Paul said. For we are not as many who corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In other words, we don't sell it. We don't, we don't uh, solicit money for the teaching of the word of God. That's what Paul made clear. So anyone who's selling the word of God, anyone who's soliciting money for the word of God, is out of line. Even if they say, but, but I'm just asking for enough money to pay my expenses. Here's the bottom line. If God's in it, God will pay for it. And if God's not in it, you don't need to be doing it. So how can you tell if God is in it? 
One person asked me that when I started this radio ministry uh, 500 plus Sundays ago. He asked me, how will you know God's in it? And, and the only thing I could think of to say was if God's in it, he will pay for it. And he has on our behalf, even though I'm not a very effective speaker, but he has paid for it even though we've never solicited money from anyone. And yet we broadcast nearly 20 radio stations across America. So God in his matchless grace provides the motivation and motivation for people to give and the capital that people give to carry on the ministry of a local church or the ministry of a missionary organization. If a pastor is going to get in the pulpit, he has to make an issue out of two things. Uh, as a recipient of the support from his congregation, he makes an issue of the gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and he makes an issue out of the Christian way of life. But he is not there to make an issue out of money. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I took from other churches wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and when I was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. And when the brethren came from Macedonia, they supplied my needs and everything. I kept myself from being a burden to you and I will continue to do so. Paul was supported by other churches like the Ephesians and the Philippians while he was in Corinth ministering there. So it's essentially the same way. Giving is an attitude of the congregation towards their pastor. And Philippians 4.10, Paul said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've received, uh, excuse me, you revived your concern for me. And you have been concerned, but you didn't have the opportunity to give, but now you have. So the number one priority for a local church is supporting the pastor, not the building. Supporting that pastor so that he can preach the gospel, so that he can teach the word of God, not so that you can build a bigger building. And 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you put aside and save on the basis of his prosperity, that no collections be taken when I come. You determine how much you can give from your prosperity. You don't give if you're broke or if giving would place a hardship on your family. Paul made it clear, we're not going to take offerings when I come. And that's one of the things I learned from my pastor years ago. If you ever speak somewhere, don't take an offering. Don't pass an offering plate. And that's something that I would never do. Don't have to. God is in it. God will pay for it. It's just that simple. And a wonderful way to live free of any gimmicks, free of any games, simply looking to the Lord and receiving from the Lord, just as you would look to the Lord and give to the Lord. Giving is wonderful. Without gimmicks, without games, what a way to glorify God to the maximum. And any believer in Jesus Christ should be able to do that. Next week, same time, same place, I'll be back. Until then, this is Rick Hughes saying thank you for listening to The Flatline.
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.